Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. We're back, OutKick 360, final hour of the show. Alongside Jonathan Hutton, I'm Chad Withrow. Excited to be here in Chattanooga today with the show. Um, excited about the upcoming hour also. Bobby Carpenter will join us in 15 or 20 minutes. We'll talk college football. We'll talk about the sudden discourse around Ryan Day at Ohio State. Yeah. Bobby's alma mater after that loss. And I've got to get the scoop from Bobby on how his kids behaved at the Ohio State-Michigan game after we talked about it last week. Did they act entitled or did they do exactly what Bobby instructed them to do? And, and play the part perfectly. Got we'll some find out all that. coming up between uh, Patrick Peterson and Kyler Murray. Uh, we also uh, had a chat with Trent Dilfer uh, right after his yeah. state championship winning performance here in Chattanooga. Tomorrow he will officially become the next head coach of the UAB Blazers. And we asked him, why UAB? Why is this the launching point for him to get to college football? Uh, we will uh, recap our chat with him. That's coming up a bit later this hour as well. It probably, right before the end of the show, we'll be uh, showing you some of that, uh, our conversation earlier uh, with Trent Dilfer before he goes to UAB. So, speaking of college coaches, well, new college coaches at new spots that may have been somewhere else, Trent Dilfer to UAB, Matt Rule to Nebraska. Matt Rule now is kind of in the excuse-making business when it comes to his time in Carolina. I, I like honesty. You know, even if I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying, I like the fact that coaches or anyone in the public eye can feel like, you know, on a podcast setting, on a show like whatever it may be, where they can feel like they can be a little bit more unbuttoned, a little bit more transparent, right? So Matt Rule, I think, was feeling that way. He was on with Peter Schrager on the Season with Peter Schrager podcast. Um, And this is what Matt Rule had to say about the Carolina Panthers job. I think I probably would have just taken another job looking back at signing with Carolina in 2020. A great place with wonderful people, but I just don't know if I was a fit there. And I'm also thinking there was no consideration of staying at Baylor. (laughs) I just would have gone somewhere else, taken anywhere else but Carolina, he's saying. Well, he was very selective because he turned down the Jets. That's right. So Rule signed a mega seven-year, $62 million contract with the Panthers, and um, he says, at the end of the day, we talked about, hey, we're going to have a four-year plan, a five-year plan. You know, if you tell me, hey, we've got a two-year plan, then I'm going to try to sign a bunch of free agents and do it right now. So what was was supposed to be a four-year plan became a two-year and five-game plan real quick. Well, here's why. They spent the year prior to Sam Darnold arriving there they spent the entire draft class on defense. So they're loading up to build their long-term plan. He's an offensive-minded head coach that's going through defense. They're building up with Brian Burns, who they won't even trade. They love him so much. Uh, They got a lot of those picks right. And 
they're going through the transition of trying to rebuild their nucleus, their core. Well, here comes Sam Darnold in failure. And then they don't trade for Baker Mayfield when I'm screaming from the rooftops, this is not going to work six weeks before the season. They waited and This is not going to work six weeks before the season. New offensive coordinator, because you fired Joe Brady in November of last year. He was the scapegoat. You've got Darnold coming back, and then you wait because you – you don't go in into the draft and, 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 and draft a first-round quarterback. You don't go with Kenny Pickett. You could have drafted Kenny Pickett. You wait and get Matt Corral in the fourth round and then wait to trade for Baker Mayfield. So it became a two-year plan, but I understand what he's saying. He is handcuffed, and he was dead man walking, having to run it back with Sam Darnold and not drafting the rookie quarterback because you can't then transition into – Here's the future of the franchise. Well, now you've got to cram it in with with Mayfield. They named him the starter really fast. That tells you what they thought about Darnold. And Chad, it was over before it really got started this season for him. And he no, knew it. No, it's all great points. And, and he even went on to say, I'm not angry about it at the end of the day. I understand, but if it was going to be that quick then we're going to need to sign some more free agents and we're going to need to go try to make the blockbuster trade. We're going to try to do those things if I knew it was going to be that quick of an expectation with him. I I get what he's saying, but here's the bottom line. Matt Rule's not an NFL coach. Okay, He was bad. I mean, I understand that you didn't get five or six years to succeed. Well, guess what? No one in the NFL gets five or six years if you're bad every time out as a coach. So... The Panthers realize that. Matt Rule is exactly where he needs to be. College football. Coaching college kids. He is that type of coach. That's fine. He's going to make a ton of money. He's probably going to make more money coaching college than he would have in the NFL. Well, but think about this. Um, He could make the same amount virtually by not coaching this year. He is saving Carolina $34 million by taking the Nebraska job. That's how bad he wants to coach. Which I think is admirable of him, and it shows a guy who, he's 47 years old. What would Butch he Jones He desperately wants to coach. With the buyout money of uh, Tennessee. Butch Jones. What would Jeremy Pruitt do at Tennessee? Yeah, if, if, if Matt Rule. They go intern, quote-unquote, with right. their friend Nick Saban. Well, I think Jeremy Pruitt's going to have a hard time getting a You get my point, though. They college. go intern yeah. and not take a salary so that Tennessee would have to pay it. Using that as an example, you do that in spite. Uh, Rule saving roughly $34 million for David Tepper, um, the Panthers' owner, the guy who fired him, because he took the Nebraska job. It's a good sign that it's not all about money for yeah, Rule. right. Now, there were also reports that he walked away because of money <laughs> and then came back when they offered more money. So, I mean, to some extent, it is about money, right? Yeah. But that's true for everyone. But no, I mean, yeah, Matt Rule's equivalent of what Butch Jones did by becoming an intern for Nick Saban would be him going and being an, an offensive analyst for right. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan and saying, pay me all my money, and I'll just sit over here and learn and not even be on the sideline or, during the games. Or the equivalent of what Frank Reich's doing right now, which is just collecting a check to not coach the Indianapolis Colts. Right. So he's a guy who really wants to coach. So that's, that's good news I like that. Yeah. for Nebraska fans. So chapter two of When <laughs> Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. Yes. Okay, this was on another podcast. Patrick Peterson uh, went on a, I think this is all, uh, this was the All Things Covered podcast. His, I believe his own podcast. Yes, it is. Patrick Peterson. So he said in his podcast, and I quote, Kyler Murray doesn't care about anybody but Kyler Murray. 
So Kyler Murray retweeted that and said, I'll clean this up a little bit for our radio audience. This isn't true. You on some weird bleep. And then he mentions him. You got my number. If you really felt like this as a, quote, big bro or, quote, mentor, then you're supposed to call and tell me, not drag me so your podcast can grow. Um, I'm with Kyler Murray on this one. I mean, they're teammates, right? uh, If they, in fact, had that type of relationship, and if he's putting the things in there about mentor, you know, and big bro on the team and all that, then, yeah, you probably shouldn't go on your own podcast and say something like Kyler Murray only cares about himself, even if it's true, right? I'm all for honesty and all that, but certain things are better left unsaid publicly. So I I side with Kyler Murray on this one, and I've not sided with Kyler Murray on much over the past year or so, but I side with him in this this dispute. I mean, but they they this is not this the beef. first time that they've had beef. The uh, that they were facing Minnesota faced Arizona earlier this year. I believe it was right before Halloween. And I picked Arizona to win. They didn't win that game outright. It was a tight game. But Peterson was talking trash during the week saying, yeah, I'm getting two picks this week. I can't wait. And he goes, we watching the celebration dance. He got a pick on Murray and did a dance in the locker room. The reporters had asked what it was. He did a Call of Duty dance <laughs> mocking Kyler Murray because that was the, oh, he'd rather you know, play Call of Duty than study the game. See, that's funny. But that's, I mean, yeah, is, that, yeah, that's someone going after him. I get it. But I also and, find that part fun. And this is also Patrick Peterson, who that organization did not pony up and pay the way he thought that they should have for him. They let him walk, and he ends up now in Minnesota. And here's Kyler Murray doing what Kyler Murray's doing, which is demanding certain contracts and um, holdouts. Is he going to be demand to be traded last year at the draft? I, uh, Peterson is a very respected vet in the league. Kyler Murray's not a respected quarterback in the no, league. No, no. So for Especially Patrick now. Peterson to come out and say this, this isn't Jalen Ramsey talking trash, right? This isn't just a casual Wednesday podcast with Jalen Ramsey talking trash. Who's going to say anything and everything. And, and, and I'm for it. Like it's, you, you see where I'm going, though. Yeah. It's like if Ramsey's name behind it, it's like, oh, but Jalen's talking trash because this is what he does. He stirs the pot. Patrick Peterson doesn't do this. So, take that for what it's worth, too. He really doesn't like him. And, right. Right. I, I, I would like to dive more into the quotes about Big Bro and Mentor, if, in fact, that was supposed to be their relationship, or if Kyler Murray thought it was that. Now, if Kyler Murray treated him like trash, and he's kind of making this up about you were supposed to be this and that, but he never fell in line with those roles either, then, you know, I don't have as big of an issue with it. Well, and so in, it, Peterson also, for the, just to be, f- like, transparent with his beef, it's really with Steve Kahn because he said the general manager, why he's not there is because Steve Kahn would not talk to him face-to-face about why he didn't want Patrick Peterson on his roster. So, he's you know, he's after the game, he's asking where Steve Kahn is. Yeah. You know, and again – Steve Kimes also the general manager just ponied up with Kingsbury through ownership. They've got the, the marriage together on their contract. And then they've just paid Kyler Murray, and they did not pay Patrick Peterson. It comes down to that. Keeping it real, Chapter 3, NFL Turning edition. A.J. Brown <laughs> says about being traded by the Titans to the Eagles, quote, I feel like I've won. Hutton. It is hard to dispute that right now. No, he's, he's won. 
it, it may he it, won he won the day he was traded it, because of the money is the biggest yes. part of it, and that's what he's talking about. I mean the the other receivers, but also on field. I mean he's with the better team right now. Yes, uh, no question about that, and um, he has elevated the better team to be a Super Bowl contending team with his um, with his presence. Now he hasn't been top receiver in the NFL. But he has got he got paid. Let's let's rewind to March of this past year. The discussion was this guy's demanding to get paid. He needs to do it again. We heard this drivel. He needs to do it again because he's going to fake an injury or something. Say his knee is swelling up and he's not going to practice after the trade deadline or after the draft. And the Titans are going to be handcuffed because he's not going to produce for them in a year where AJ Brown's just going to what sit out quit. Instead, he gets paid and then backs it up with another phenomenal season for the Eagles, dropping him into an offense. And lo and behold, here's you know uh, a receiver that joins a team in the offseason that starts producing from week one. And that's where he's won. He's won in the pocketbook, but he's also won over a lot of those naysayers who said, oh, you're doing it for the money. Once he's paid, he's not going to elevate to the next level. He's What he's done is just running back what he's – done he, he's the moment he, he manufactures moments for you in games he bails you out in certain situations and he knows exactly what the titans are losing the titans know it too the titans don't talk about it aj brown does and that's that's the fascination this week for me and yesterday with clay i asked clay oh, over under three and a half deleted texts after the game by aj brown tweets yeah or, uh, yeah t- tweets you, probably you, some. Uh, if, you you, take, if you could delete a you text, take the over. You probably would do you that. You take too. the over because he's going to respond to any talk. But the, AJ responds by producing, not by shelling up like a turtle and not saying anything and having the worst offensive performance of the week. That's the difference in the two. And he feeds off of trash talk. He feeds off of this more than people I think know. And when things don't go well for him on social media, he cries, you know, mental health and anything else he wants to put out there. But then he goes out there and balls out afterwards. Or he, he, what, death threats on his family or whatever it was from Titans he can, fans who he can take a lot of things were upset that he didn't come back for the, the camp or whatever. Again, I'm not backing him up on all the pouting that he does, but it's not like he pouts and then goes into a shell of himself. The fact he's talking trash is, I think, is a bad sign. If he was silent, I'd be like, what's going on here? Why is he playing nice? That's when I would be concerned. Well, and, and to compound that, you know, on the I feel like I've won, he did win and that he got the money, the contract he wanted, the money. Yes. But, but it's not like he was traded to the Raiders. You know, it's not Devontae Adams taking the bag and then second-guessing the decision because, like, man, I, I, I don't like to lose. <laughs> so this has not been good from that. He went to a team that's the story of the NFL this season also, and he's a big part of that story. So, yeah, Titans fans are going to hate to hear that, but it's the truth. He, he has one. Now, if the Titans go out there and upset them on Sunday, sure. this will be pointed to. And there, it will be motivation in that locker room because a guy the week of the game is saying, I feel like I've already won in regards to a trade from the team you're about to play. So that, too, will be used as fuel sure. in this game. But it doesn't change his overall perspective, which was time to use some leverage. And, I mean, it's not like he demanded to be cut. 
It's not like they cut him loose and he chose, or he was a free agent and chose not to re-sign. Titans are the one who traded him. They shipped him out. And it hurt his feelings. And while you could say that's really funny that he's, you know, in his feels on social media all the time and deleting those tweets, and it is, um, he also backs it up on game day, unlike any player that we've seen come through uh, the Nashville franchise. And he's on a very short list of, what, 12, 15 players in the league that you can point to, non-quarterback, that you can point to and say, every single week, this dude is going to show up and do something. So when we come back with Bobby Carpenter, we're going to give you the most extensive MAC championship preview between Akron and Buffalo. You're ever, I'm kidding. But we are going to talk about championship weekend across college football. Bobby Carpenter, when we come back. It's Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Every NFL game. Wow. But definitely one of our favorite guests. Maybe, just maybe, the favorite guest of Outkick 360. He's as loyal to this show as anyone on this show. And he, he always brings it. He it makes it's, time it's, for us. There's an energy there with Bobby Carpenter. There's a charisma. <laughs> there's a whole vibe going on with his visits with us that we can't replace. That's and right. We love that he still joins us. Bobby Carpenter weekly with us, talking some college football. We're going to talk championship weekend, Bobby. But before we talk about Ohio State-Michigan, I first must ask, how did your kids behave at the game? I know that you wanted to kind of teach a life lesson to them about not acting entitled because they have all these privileges. How did it go down at the game with the kids? Well, I mean, outside of the end result of the game, it was, uh, it was pretty good. They listened fairly well. They sat there. And, and sat on a bench while I scolded a college student for just throwing a pizza box down on the ground and forced them to go pick it up out of the street and throw it in the trash as we were walking into the yes, stadium. Yes, love that. Yes. Well, I mean, we're just teaching life lessons here. I'm like, listen, man, th- these were the arguments that he gave back to me. Number one, someone hit it out of his hand. I'm like, okay, that's unfortunate. I get it. Um, but you were eating it. The pizza was yours. He's like, no, I didn't buy it. Like, but you were eating the pizza out of that box, correct? Yes. I felt like I was arguing with my nine-year-old son at the time, except for this guy, probably in his 21, 22 years old and in college. I'm like, dude, you go to school here? Do you want to see trash all over campus? I mean, like, let's, let's show some reasonable level of respect for what's going on. Just, there's trash cans. He's like, where's the trash cans? Buddy, every stadium in America has trash cans as you enter because, like, this, the cup I have in my hand, they want to give people a way to dispose of it on their way in. So let's just take a little walk. We're going to go in here. We're going to throw it away. And then we're going to go in there and act. He's like, look at the lines. It's so busy. I'm like, all right. So I took him down to like the recruiting player entrance. And I'm like, wow. throw it away. And then we, I walked him through. And I'm like, you don't have to wait in the line now. And then I like, kind of felt bad and like was kind of tearing up on me. I'm like, dude, I had to, gra- I had to grab the guy from behind. He tried to like evade. I was like, sir, excuse me, sir, excuse me. So they sat there patiently 
I didn't get embarrassed when I was acting like this because this thing took like 10 minutes, that whole interaction. Um, so they were great when we went in. They were great waiting for me to get back off the field pregame. Um, you know, they, they were they were really good. So I was impressed with them. The end of the end of the game, obviously a little emotional, sad that we lost. Uh, and my one, my middle son wanted to get back. So he was staying the night over at AJ's house with his son. So kind of clamoring to get out of the parking lot and get home. But outside of that, they, they have uh, handled themselves really well. You handled yourself beautifully, Bobby, in that yes. situation, too. Bobby the disciplinarian, that's a story I didn't know that I needed today, but I'm glad. I don't even know where we go from here. you to make but, a man out of this child. Uh, it's great, but the both the children, your own children, and then the Ohio State children, uh, the, those college students that were there also. Uh, what, what's the big takeaway from this, Bobby? Because I'm hearing all of this vitriol towards Ryan Day after a second straight loss to Michigan. It's not as if the Ohio State program is in trouble or anything if they're going to lose one game a year, but it is Ohio State-Michigan, and it does feel like after two in a row, the mentality has shifted a little bit to that edge on the Michigan sideline against Ohio State. What do you make of all of this? So I'm not trying to compare these two coaches with what they've accomplished, because obviously one is the most accomplished coach in college football history, but... Everybody was sitting there saying, you know, has Nick Saban lost his fastball? Are they done? I mean, is this the end of the tight era? I'm like, all right, guys, they lost two games. They've had a couple other close games. You know, they've had more penalties this year. There's been different things. But let's not act like they're out there going 7-5 and five and just imploding upon themselves. And so I, I try to have the same level of discretion, even when it's a more emotional situation, personal to me. And Ryan Day's lost five games. He's lost to Michigan twice, Oregon, Clemson, and Bama. And the one Clemson lost, they got a lot of bad calls. Last year, they got beat up against uh, by Michigan. Obviously, not a great game. It, it played an, they were overmatched against Alabama the year that they won it. You know, in, in, in Oregon, they didn't play well on defense, and that was a problem for them all year. This was the first time where they had a game where I thought, I thought he had a pretty good game plan. Maybe there could have been some tweaks here or there. But there was a handful of guys. I mean, they picked a bad day to have a bad day. And that just happens sometimes. You go watch the entirety of the game, and I've, I've watched it three times. They're like, oh, look at the yardage. Look at all this. I'm like, guys, it's like, it was, it was nine, nine plays accounted for about 85 to 90% of the yards. And you can't discard, discard those. Like, that's real. It happened. But I would much rather have those things happen than if someone's running the ball on you for seven, eight yards every single play, which is what happened last season. So there are answers to be had. I think there are solutions. There are a lot of guys that care a lot uh, with it. Ryan is a good coach. He didn't become a bad coach overnight. You know, six months ago, everybody's saying how lucky they are to have Ryan Day at Ohio State and hope he doesn't leave and go to the NFL. So I'm not going to sit here and swing back and say, they were cheering Jim Knowles when he came in here. It was like, you know, it was like Palm Sunday with him entering Jerusalem. Like he was the savior solving all the problems. And all of a sudden, then, you know, it was a top 10 defense. Hey, you got a guy miss a tackle on a on a pass. You got a guy get beat on a double move. You have two runs pop out. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a team that's the second ranked team in the country. They're the third ranked coming in. So none of those things want to happen. The, re- the reality is it's your rival. It's a team that they've dominated for the last 20 years. And so it's been, it was 22 years, gentlemen, since Ohio State had lost at home to Michigan. So, yeah, people now are looking and searching for answers, you know, and asking all these crazy questions. And I'm not saying don't. The accountability is great. That's what makes the passion is what makes college football amazing. But also, 
you know, a couple of days out, look at it, try to look at it more objectively, understand it. A loss hurt me as bad as anyone. Um, but understand, like, is, is there another coach out there that I could tell you would do a better job? I, I can't, I can't confirm that. I think Ryan's done a pretty darn good job. And so let's see where he goes from here. It's just two years he's lost to this team. Got a ton of adversity. Maybe he gets another crack this year. I don't know. We'll see what happens tomorrow night and Saturday. Uh, but I'm not ready to throw throw out Ryan Day simply for what happened on Saturday. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, and we'll preview the, the conference championship matchups with you in just a moment, Bobby. But I'm curious from this perspective, you mentioned the objective take, and it was on Ohio State-Michigan and uh, the fair and balanced approach to the next question here. Last year, we saw in the regular season the physical dominance up front by Michigan against Ohio State. And Chad and I were discussing, okay, what would that mean at the time? What, can they carry this over into the college football playoff against a Georgia? And the answer was no. Do you see a different Michigan team this year compared to last year based on the outcome and the result of that second half, this time on the road, Michigan upsetting Ohio State? Well, it was on the road. I, I think that they're probably better in some areas, maybe not quite as good in others. And the reality is, unless something crazy happens, I don't think they're going to have to play Georgia the first game. So can they go out and big boy a TCU? Right. I, I think they can. I don't know anybody that can probably beat Georgia trying to do what Georgia does, which is a lot of what Michigan does. Run the ball, really good defense, have a quarterback that can scramble around, make some big plays off play action. I don't think anyone's beaten Georgia doing that. I think they're probably better than what they were. And also, guys, experience matters. So them getting into the playoff last year, getting a taste of what that that stage feels like, playing the national champion, getting embarrassed a little bit. Okay, and now you know. At least you know at that point what the standard is because so few teams really do. Unless you're playing you know, Bama or Georgia every year, you think you might know what it is but you really don't until you actually go out there and play them. And so I think they found that out. So that they'll be far better equipped to handle it this year. And honestly, if they play TCU, I, I think that they would ultimately win that game. You know, no matter what we predict going into a college football weekend, there's always a big surprise. And most weekends, multiple surprises. But I feel like even, even championship weekend, we always get one surprise, even if it's a shockingly close game. What are the chances that Purdue and Michigan becomes that big surprise and Purdue can really push the Wolverines in this Big Ten championship? Or do you think that that division was so bad all year that Michigan being the superior team is just going to roll in this championship game? I think that Purdue had the possibility of being the best team in the West. They lost some games that were kind of inexplicable. They melted down against Syracuse. But they're a bad matchup for Michigan. And not that I'm saying Michigan's going to lose, but they can score points. And offensively, they can go move the football. And so if you can ever separate on Michigan by a couple scores and make them uncomfortable and get them to start pushing the ball more, I think you've got a chance to win. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if I look at Iowa, I think Michigan would have rolled Iowa the same way they did last year. Purdue is a team that I think with the way that they play at least provides some level of intrigue to where, hey, even if they're down two scores, they have the ability to throw themselves back in the game simply due to they can score the football. So let's go through some of these championship games starting Friday night. Utah-USC, the rematch. Um, if it's going to be chalk this weekend, we've got two very close games by the Vegas line. We'll get to the other one here momentarily. But Utah-USC is that first one where USC 
is only a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this game, Bobby. What do you think about USC's chances of getting past Utah the second go-around and getting themselves into the college football playoff? Well, it's tough to beat a team twice in one season, especially in college, because it's not something that you see a whole lot. You're starting to see more now with the conference championship games a little bit. But the game number one is in Vegas, so I think that that should favor uh, favor Utah. I mean, there's going to be a ton of people pouring down. A lot of people don't realize how close um, Salt Lake is to Vegas to actually getting down there. Um, and so I, they love it. They're a passionate fan group. I don't know how USC is going to travel, so I would anticipate it being more like a home game for the Utes. And, you know, here's the thing. If you don't have a defense that can stop anyone, it's never a good feeling, no matter how good your offense is, because Utah can score the football. They've got a defense, I think, that can get some stops. But if you can't ever stop anybody, you're basically relying on, in a close game, you having the ball last. And so if you score somehow or your opponent gets the ball back with a minute 30, it's not really a good feeling because that's a little bit what Ohio State was last year. And that's kind of what I see Utah or USC as. They can score, but if Utah gets the ball back with a minute 45, like Lincoln Riley, he, he can't call any plays on offense when he's playing defense. Caleb Williams isn't going to be out there making any tackles. And so I think that that is something that happened last time. You get in a high shootout game. You, UCLA was putting on him in. If they had a chance on that final drive. If DTR just pulls it down and runs, he might still be running today. He would run to the Pacific Ocean, for heaven's sake. Um, so I think that that is what gives it a little bit more of an edge where you can't ever get that critical stop. Utah has the ability to go win the game in the end. They did it once. We'll see if they can do it again. What has impressed you about LSU up until the loss with A&M where they turned a corner with Brian Kelly over the second half of the season and which version of this LSU team, Bobby, do you think shows up Saturday in Atlanta against Georgia? I think you get the best version of the LSU team, and we can talk about it all we want. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's basically the rivalry game that they've kind of instituted for LSU playing A&M out there in the West, the final game of the season. But you're telling me like that these guys weren't the players and Brian Kelly could have beat it into their head all day long. But I guarantee you they were looking forward to this week. They knew even if they lost, they were going to play. Now, they're thinking if we can upset the behemoth, we can maybe go to the, the college football playoff. And so they overlooked a team that was had nothing else to play for than playing spoiler. That ain't going to happen. I don't know if they can beat LSU, but I know you're going to see the best version or beat Georgia, but I know you're going to see the best version of LSU out there on Saturday. Brian Kelly, he'll have some tricks up his sleeve. They'll make some plays. I don't know if they'll be able to keep it tight in the second half, but I don't think this will be a, you know, a three-score game at halftime. I anticipate it being, you know, a one possession, maybe 10-point game where you still feel like LSU has a path to victory. So another rematch, just like the Pac-12 championship and the Big 12 championship, this time it's TCU and Kansas State playing for a second time. A game, Bobby, that TCU won 38-28 in Fort Worth earlier this year. What do you think about this rematch and K-State's chances of playing spoiler? I think they've got a good shot at it You know, the same way Utah does. You look at both of these games, and they're about field goal lines depending where you look, two and a half, three, three and a half. You know, and Kansas State, they're, they're a solid defensive team. Obviously, TCU was able to score them a little bit. TCU's proven that they can win in a variety of ways this year. And while it may not always be pretty, 
you know, they find a way to get it done, whether it's a high-scoring, up-tempo shootout or more of a slugfest like Texas that's a defensive battle. You know, but I think Kansas State has everything that they need. They've played them before. And just like I said, it's really tough for Utah to beat a team twice. For TCU, who ended up winning by 10 points, but it wasn't like it was some big blowout. You know, Kansas State probably looks back and said, hey, if we can do this, we can do that, change a couple of these plays, we've got a pretty good uh, – pretty good opportunity and then look a little bit what texas was able to do to slow down that offense and slow down max duggan and we'll see if we can kind of replicate some of those things i don't know if both underdogs win or both lower yeah both the teams are dogs but i would be surprised if usc and tcu both sweep it just based upon i think how tough both of those matchups are going to be I have no idea what to expect from North Carolina or Clemson in this game. This is the hardest one. I'm I'm trying to think about what's going to happen in some of these games and look at the matchups. But the way North Carolina played down the stretch in their last two games, mixed with Clemson having their issues and losing at home to South Carolina, what do we get in the ACC championship? That's a that's a good one. This is the problem I think when you get teams who have kind of locked everything up a couple weeks out. And, you know, they're not really in the playoff hunt per se. I think you get guys kind of coasting, looking around like, hey, we've got the championship game coming up. And I say as much as the coaches try to hammer it in on you, you're talking about guys who are 18 to 22 years old who, listen, when I was 18, man, I was at the pinnacle of my intelligence. I knew everything in the world. and I didn't need to listen to anyone. And that's a lot of how these players operate. I think Matt Brown will get those guys ready to play. I think Dabo will, you know, juice them up. You got to remember, I mean, Clemson didn't win the ACC last season for the first time in, I don't know, six, seven years, whatever it's been since they, they weren't sitting atop there. So I think they're going to have some motivation too. I think this will be a pretty good version of both of these teams. Um, and the thing with North Carolina is they have a pretty young squad. And it's the same thing that kind of happened, I think, with LSU, is handling success is sometimes harder than handling adversity. When everybody's telling you you're good and you're cruising along and, hey, it's our time to go beat Clemson, we're talking a little smack about uh, NC State from a while back, and all of a sudden those team, things come back to bite you. And so that, that's what I was kind of seeing from both of those teams, especially Carolina down the stretch. So, Bobby, we haven't had a chance to talk to you since Luke Fickle left for Wisconsin. I think it's the best hire of this cycle so far. Uh, makes perfect sense. You know Luke Fickle a little bit. What, what did you make of the move now leaving Cincinnati for Wisconsin? It's, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was shocking, but it was surprising to see that given the, the jobs that he was tied to last year, which you know, I believe he probably had you know, just about any one of the jobs that he may have wanted last season. Um, chose to stay at Cincinnati, wanted to finish out with his team. I think a lot of it was due to wanting to get, you know, get to the CFP and finish with those guys and see what they could maybe do. Uh, and then this year kind of looking around. And you know, Luke Fickle's a unique guy. I always talk about this. You know, he has six kids. Uh, his son was playing at Cincinnati. You know, his daughter's a senior in high school down there. He's never coached outside of the state of Ohio. So if he was going to go somewhere, it needed to check a lot of boxes, both on the football side, but also on the family side. And his wife, Amy's awesome. And she, she's a pistol, man. I don't think she wanted to live in a lot of places. And you know what? If you're having success where you are. Why complicate the situation at home? I think Madison fits their family. I think the type of kids you're going to recruit at Madison, those are Luke Fickle type guys. You can go get some four-star guys, go pluck some guys here and there, but you're going to get a lot of, you know, tough middle American guys who maybe 
didn't get recruited by the top school in their conference. And so Luke finds something, hey, they said you're a step slow, an inch too short, maybe not, don't weigh quite enough. Come here. I can develop you. I can work with you. And he's got that proof in, in the pudding with the guys he had at Cincinnati. And he's got some guys at Cincinnati in the league that are playing really good football now. And so I think he'll be able to recruit. And the biggest part of it was, you know, talking uh, to Joe Thomas yesterday, uh, Tuesday on uh, off campus with Jacob Pester. We're sitting there and talking to him about it. And Wisconsin's never really spent a lot of money on their coaches, facilities, you know, their staff. And I think Luke, and I think they realized we can't do what we've done. We've slid back. We need not only make a commitment to the head coach, which is just part of it, but we've got to make a commitment to NIL. We have to make a commitment to uh, our assistants and our staff, facilities, and all of those things. And if you do that, I think you'll see a Wisconsin team that was very similar to what you had under Brett Bielema and Barry Alvarez. Bobby Carpenter, always good, always informative, always entertaining, and now he's got to get back to his job of being the Batman of people doing dumb things around him, <laughs> and he is the vigilante, the hero that we all need. Bobby, appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again next week. Hey, just remember this, guys. This is something my grandma would always tell me. Like, It's always the right time to do the right thing. So evil can only triumph when good men choose to do nothing. And I don't know if I'm a good man, but I'm at least going to try to stand up when I see some knucklehead stuff going on. <laughs> and hopefully make a little dent in the world. Bobby, you're the best, man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Have a good one. So earlier today, big thanks to Bobby Carpenter, by the way, um, we caught up with Trent Dilfer, headed to UAB after his team's win in the state championship game here in Tennessee in Chattanooga, and we were the first to ask him, why UAB? You'll hear his answer when we come back. It's Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Final segment of Outkick 360 on this Thursday. We are live in Chattanooga alongside Jonathan Hutton. I'm Chad Withrow. Fun show today. Big thanks to all of our guests, Armando Salguero, Ken Carmen, Bobby Carpenter. We appreciate all of you for joining us today on a very fun show. Hutton, after we called the game on TV where Trent Dilfer's Lipscomb Academy team won their second straight state championship, we actually caught up with Trent Dilfer on the sideline after the game he has and, not talked about taking the gig yeah. at UAB to this point. This is the first comments into a camera and microphone <laughs> that we know of uh, with Trent Dilfer because he did no interviews, didn't talk about anything before the game. We caught up to him right after the game, and Hutton asked the question, why UAB? What's UAB? Why, why, why is UAB the mountain? Why is it now? Well, one, they pursued me really hard. Um, I didn't ever pursue them. Um, I had a lot of calls in the last three weeks of gauging my interest, and I really wasn't interested in anything but UAB. There's a couple differentiators. They have a president, Dr. Watts, who is about excellence, period. 
everything they do at UAB under his leadership is excellent. You want, you want that. To win it in college football, you the president's committed to excellence. Uh, you need an AD that understands the, football, the impact of football. Not the importance. Please hear me right here. It's not more important than anything. Listen, I got three divisional athlete daughters. I don't want football to be more important than volleyball. But the impact of football is massive on a community, on an institution, uh, and Mark Ingram understands that. You want a donor base that's proved themselves already. And this donor base proved themselves by bringing football back and they want to be great. And then you want a community with a big vision. And the vision is not just to win the American. The vision is to be in the conversation for the college football playoff when it expands. And people are going to say, that's crazy. They're going to say, that's a big old mountain you can't climb. Guess what? We're going hiking. We're going to climb, and we'll talk in a couple years. My guess is we're on top of that mountain. We're going to climb that mountain, and in a couple years, we're going to be on top of that mountain. That from Trent Dilfer. And Honey also said, when you asked the question, they pursued me. They pursued me hard. That he wasn't pursuing that job, but it was UAB showing the initiative and going after him from the very beginning. I think a very savvy, savvy move by UAB. Oh, and I mean... He will provide energy to a program that, I mean, consider where they were. Was it seven years ago when they did away with the sport? They yeah. folded? Was it eight years ago? Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't it, that long ago. And, and now they've got, they're, they're in a bowl game already this year at six and six. They're headed to the Bahamas Bowl against Miami of Ohio. And they've hired Dilfer to replace, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't because you bottomed out and you're making a huge adjustment. It was a health issue and a oh, back issue, right? Yeah, Bill, for, for Bill Clark. Clark. Yep. And he, he stepped down in June of this past year, and they chose not to keep the interim after the 6-6 six and six season. So they end up with Dilfer, and he will bring an energy and a, a certain expectation level that comes with him that a, a lot of just your average run-of-the-mill – and no, no, I mean, they're good coaches, but this would have been just another afterthought. Yeah then it would be a talking point. It's a national talking point now in college football circles right. that they hired Trent Dilfer. And you could tell by that clip that we just played, the energy and charisma he's going to bring. Oh, going to hey, be Chad. there. But here's the other expectation I have. Quarterback. Quarterback development. Elite 11. His ties to right. Elite 11. Um, I mentioned it during the broadcast. He's got a kid playing quarterback for him at Lipscomb that's committed to Liberty. Well, Liberty just lost their coach, Hugh Freeze, to Auburn. Is that a possibility now? I mean, right. and, and not just him, but, but others. That, to me, that's an attractive selling point. And here's the other thing, too. And he, Dilfer won't mind me saying this. There are a lot of coaches at the high school level in Tennessee that don't like the guy because he rubs people the wrong way. He's up 42 nothing in this game today, and he's throwing the football with two minutes to go in the red zone. Trying to run up the well, score. He's throwing it with two seconds Two left seconds to go, the, yeah. Into the red zone. Uh, 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 two seconds to go in the first half, too. And he's up 35 nothing at the time. Point being, he will bring that same type of vibe with him. And you're either on, on board or you're not. And he doesn't care. There, there will be some friction along the way that will make some great storylines at the group of five level. That include a lot of big names. Tom Herman's back in this mix now at Florida Atlantic. I mean, there's always... Uh, the, the, the Lane Kiffin example of the guy that's trying to work his way to the top or the guy that's trying to be the reclamation project to get back to the Power Five. And in this case, Dilfer's just trying to go about it his way 
and that will rub some college coaches the wrong way because he's going to recruit the crap out of every single player around. And, and that's what he was doing at Lipscomb it's Academy. Not, it's not just going to be the Conference USA level in terms of who he's going after and who he's targeting. He's going to get some national attention because he's going to say whatever he thinks right. and whatever he wants about. Here's an example. They play at Georgia next year on September 23rd. UAB does. I mean, they're not going to beat Georgia, obviously, but it's not going to stop him from attacking the big dog and going after them and trying to bring them down. He said it in the clip with us today. We're going to be on top of that mountain, and and I think it'll probably be about two years. We'll be on top of that mountain. That's the way that guy thinks. That's the way he acts. That's the way he works. And for that reason, I think it's going to work at UAB. It's going to be fun to watch either way. Throwing with two seconds to go with his starter still in the game up 42-0. That's the other point of emphasis here. He's out for the jugular. You also had, by the way, the opposing coach, <laughs> who I don't think likes him either, much like every other coach uh, in high school, yeah, calling timeout on third and ten right. from the ten-yard line with like 15 seconds left in the game because he badly wants to not get 49 put on him and instead make it 42 to nothing. It's going to be the fun. End. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. A lot of fun tomorrow also. It's been fun here in Chattanooga, by the way. Uh, thanks to, uh, uh, to Chuck Hunnell, to uh, Davey Hudson for setting this up for yes. us today. Thanks to Brewer Media for their hospitality today. Wells Guthrie, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Wells, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Fun show today. We'll be back at it tomorrow, Hutton. We'll get you ready for championship weekend and everything across the NFL. Jam-packed day on the Friday edition of Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Have a great Thursday night, everyone.